G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm going into some of the questions that are getting asked on our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. If you're not already part of the action on Facebook, head over, type in Perth Property Investment and join us. I'd love to get your comments. I'm sure everyone else would appreciate your input on some of their questions. I don't always get a chance to answer these in the kind of detail that I want. And I also want to share the responses with all of our listeners so that you can benefit as well and see you may not be interested in some of the suburbs or some of the exact specifics of the person's question. But what I think is really valuable is for you to see my thinking, my strategy, and how I approach decision. And I think there's a lot to be gained from that to adapt to your specific situation. So that's why I'm sharing and I think that's why the episodes have been so popular. So got some really juicy questions today looking at uh, should we buy in a certain area? We're looking at can you purchase a property anonymously without the person that's selling it knowing who you are? That's going to be a good one. Also looking at some sequencing when you're trying to upgrade your home. Do you keep your property as an investment? And some advice as to how I look at that situation, when to sell, when to uh, buy and should you hold. And then looking at Joondalup as a suburb and whether or not it's worth buying an apartment there, just going into some of the comparisons between units and apartments and how they've performed in the past. Haven't really looked at units too much, so that's going to be a good one. Then finally, we're going into some of the options that a lot of investors weigh up. Do you look at a newer home or an established property and pros and cons to, to each? And then I'm going into paying off your mortgage versus investing and paying off your mortgage later. So do you pay off your mortgage first? And finally, I'm covering uh, my thoughts on NRAS properties and should it be something that you consider when you're looking at investment options. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Now, first question that I'm tackling is, what are your thoughts on Girawin going forward? Now, Girawin's median house price at the moment is 390000 Just for reference, it's a suburb uh, north of the river. I think it's about 14 kilometres north and is surrounded by, I think we've got Belga, we've got Alexander Heights and we've got Kandula on the backside. And there's a certain stigma that... A lot of uh, those suburbs there have Girawin, Valga and Kandula because they have a really high amount of government housing or Homes West that has been converted to public housing over the years. But there's still a lot of existing um, public housing there. So it was real lower socioeconomic. It was basically the, the lowest 
socioeconomic area of the north before um, we started uh, extending, you know, further, even further north. And it really does have a bit of a hangover, a bit of a stigma to it. But because of the immense change that has been, that has gone on, there was a redevelopment authority that did a lot of master planning for the area and has really tried to change the suburb. I think uh, Belga was originally uh, part of Westminster as well and they split the suburb in half and tried to you know, change up the stigmas by giving Westminster a new name as well. And all those things have actually seen it become quite a decent performer over the last 30 years. So it's had a, you know, over, when we look at how, how has it performed? Well, it's had a 1.27% change in the median house price over the last three months. It's had a 10.8% change over the last 12 months. And it's had 42% over the last 36 months. So has performed very well. And with just an, uh, when we look at the last 10 years, it's had a 2.67% average annual growth rate. And I, when I compare that to how it's gone over the last 30 years, over 30 years, it's had 4.98%. So it's performed pretty well for its price point over the last 30 years. And over the last 10, it's performed at around half of that long-term average. So that shows me that it's still relatively undervalued, especially when I compare it to Alexander Heights on the north, which is 100000 higher in its median house price. Should Alexander Heights be that much higher? I think Girawin represents some decent value when you compare the two now. It's also got a solid rental yield at 5.07%, which is decent. You can probably find properties that are going to be higher than that in there. And when I look deeper, into some of the stats and if you're watching the video i will just share my screen now and go into some of these things i'll talk you through it if you're listening on the podcast so it's average selling days is really low now we're at just 21 days on the market so it's very tight it's the the lowest and tightest that it's been in a decade. When we go down to the online search interest, we can see that it's peaked up here on the graph and relatively high compared to the last three years. So it's at a new high for interest and buyers looking to purchase online, browsing the suburb. And when we look at sales listings, stock for sale, the total listings of houses and units is at a record low for the last three years. So all of those things add up to me when I'm analysing a suburb, when I see the days on markets low and trending down, when I see that the stock's tight and trending down, and when I see that um, search interest is trending up, that all tells me that there's going to be good growth over the short term ahead. And I'd certainly try to be looking at full blocks. Doesn't have to be subdividable, but they've also got a fair lot of subdividable properties through there. And I'd stay away from villas and units because there, there certainly has been an oversupply at various points. They're, they're all very cookie cutter. There's nothing, you know, too much 
that's different about them. And I think you really can struggle to rent and sell those when the market's down. So even though they've come back a bit lately, stick to a full block and that's where you're going to be much better off. So Girawin, if you can put up with the stigma, it's not the type of suburb you tell your friends about at a party, but um, I think it could be a really good performer for the sort of price point that it is. Hope that helps that person and also helps you see how I analyse a suburb and then look deeper as to the short and long-term potential. So next question, is it possible to purchase a property completely anonymously so the person that's selling it doesn't know and how can this be done? So look, I'm no expert when it comes to structuring, so you do need to seek advice from an accountant. However, the options are worth investigating and here's some of the things to look at. So you can buy the property in a company name and if someone wanted to search to see who owned the company, they could still find who the directors are and who the shareholders are. So that's probably not going to be ideal. And then you've got other implications about having in the company that need to speak to your accountant about with regard to you know taxes and all that sort of how it's going to be treated ongoingly, not only uh, along the way, but also when you sell any gains, how they'd be treated. But that's one option to look at. The second one, which is what most people do, is look to use something called a bear trust. And that's spelled B-A-R-E, bear. And a bear trust is generally the simplest form of trust and it arises where X holds a particular item of property, for example, some real estate or some shares, and it's simply a nominee for one or more specifically identified beneficiaries. That's the sort of technical explanation. But what it means is that this person that is shown on the contract that actually has a bare trust set up is just holding it on behalf of the other person in the background that's got the beneficial benefit of of owning it and they have no active duties to perform beyond conveying the property to the beneficiaries when instructed to do so so you could have them purchase it and sometime in the future you could then just have them convey that and transfer it to you when you instruct them to do so so a very commonly used way to hide who is actually purchasing a property called a bear trust chat to your accountant and legal get legal advice as well now obviously a solicitor would have to create the trust documents and give you all the input and advice relative to your situation so an interesting one if you haven't heard of it now next question hi guys i'm just looking for some advice please sorry if it's been asked before i had a search through old posts not much came up We need to upgrade our current home in Clarkson and move closer to the school in the next 18 months. At the moment, we're saving for a deposit for another house to live in and keep the Clarkson one to rent out, or should we just sell it now and save for an investment property later? We don't have enough equity to use that as a deposit now. Thanks in advance. So looking at Clarkson, It's had 2.27% change in its median house price over the last three months. 
and it's had 8.43% over the last year. So it's performed pretty well. And you can see over the last three months, it's still continuing to with 2.27%. Now, over the last three years, it's had 24.3%. And the days on market is incredibly tight with average selling time of just 10 days. The online search interest is also at its highest level and sales listing at their relatively lowest. Just going to share my screen now if you're watching the video and show those things. So here we are looking for Clarkson. We've got online listing demand relatively high. We've got uh, days on market very low at 10 days. And we've got listings very low as well. So it's all looking very good for short-term growth is the short answer. And when we look back at the long-term, historically, Unfortunately, Clarkson has not performed that well. It's done 4.8% average annual growth rate over the last 30 years. However, I expect with the land supply getting used up around the area and the freeway providing great accessibility, um, now with much further options up the coast with far further places away, I expect it's going to do a lot better in the future than it has in the past. So for the money, when you consider reinvesting that potentially at a later date, they'll probably make a reasonable investment and perform you know, pretty well for the price point that it's at. So look, I expect the shorter term you're going to do good keeping it. I think longer term it's going to perform you know, quite typical and pretty well for the suburb. There's no way to know that for certain because... It's not that old a suburb and you don't have the proven history to look at, which is one of the downsides of buying into such an area. But you've got to consider your exit costs and entry costs into another investment to repurpose it later. All that adds up. You've got to consider the tax that you'll pay on the property as well, which again puts you negative in the you know behind the eight ball in the return that you're going to have to get on any next property you buy. So all in all, I'd probably keep it if you can. But now thinking about the overall considerations of what you're doing with your home. So you need to consider how long it's going to take to save for this new home while keeping the current one at your current rate of saving. Is that going to be actually achievable before you you need to get the kids into school and be closer to school in 18 months' time? Is that going to be achievable at your current rate of saving? And ideally, you'd really like to not make any compromises on this family home. So, yes, you might be able to you know, buy a new place, but you've got to look through to is that going to ideally suit you for five-plus years? You don't want to be buying and then having to sell Again, in the shorter term, realising that, hey, this property doesn't actually suit us and we've uh, compromised too much on what we bought just so we could keep Clarkson. So I think you have to remember that 
the property you're looking to buy as well is also likely to go up in value in the meantime. So you need to factor that in. Clarkson will likely increase, but what's the area that you're looking at going to do? So will you actually be able to afford it at the end of the 18 months? You obviously don't want to sell now and sit on the sidelines and rent because Clarkson's going to increase the the property that you're looking at is going to increase. So I suggest it's a good idea always in this situation to get your home right first, make that the guiding star to all of your decisions and then keep investing. And if you can keep Clarkson and make all that happen for your home, then fabulous. I think that's the way to go if you can. But if you have to make too many compromises and it's all not going to work for the home, then look to sell when you can make the upgrade, keep Clarkson in the meantime and then sell when you're upgrading and then um, look to re-enter for an investment when you can down the track. Hope that helps. Next one, my kids are attending uni in Joondala. Rentals are hard to come by, so I'm considering buying instead. I've always believed the value in property is in the land, but it seems that Joondala has mostly units of apartments listed for sale. I'm rural-based and don't have much knowledge of Perth suburbs. I'd appreciate if any comments regarding whether to buy in Joondala or rather another nearby suburb and the profile of Joondala properties for growth versus cash flow. This may be different for houses versus apartments in the suburb. Thanks in advance. Okay. So over the long term, units have performed very poorly in Joondala. With the average annual growth rate over the last 20 years being just 1.97% on average per year over 20 years. So when we look at the median unit price in June, LUP, it's continued to drop over the last 12 months. It's fallen a further 9.21% by 35000 to 345000 And the average selling time is a massive 48 days, which is a very long time. So it's likely that prices of units are going to fall further still in the short term, unfortunately, for anyone that owns there. When you look at houses in June up, the median house prices stayed relatively the same over the last 12 months at 585000 Not sure, can you afford to get into houses and house instead of a unit? If you can, and that's going to be a much better consideration. The average selling time of houses in Journal Up is 14 days and the online search interest is trending to new highs. So I expect there's going to be further growth over the short term. The median house price might not have reflected that growth over the last year, but as we know, median houses prices can be distorted, especially when we're looking at them over a shorter period of time. I really trust the average selling days and the tightness of the market to push prices further. So what would I do if I wanted to get close to this area? I'd be looking for a house, a typical house, and I'd be looking in Heathridge or Belden. They're my two preferred picks in the surrounding area. So not sure if you can afford those. But otherwise, you know, renting might be the better option if you want an apartment next to the TAFE or something there. You want to be closer to it. It's only going to be for two or three years. could look to start with a longer lease and try and secure that so you don't got the security of it, don't have to buy everything 
if it doesn't make a good investment but does make a good lifestyle living location in the meantime. Cool. So next question. Hi, folks. Thoughts on the better long-term growth on two options? A near newer home on three to 400 square metres, lock up and leave type thing with little maintenance required over the years, or an older house that's pretty average would be a larger spend on upkeep but on a larger subdividing block. Wouldn't develop in the short to medium time frame if I went down this path. Looking at this option fairly close to the city, leaning towards the second option as value in the land, just worried about constant outlay over the years. Appreciate any thoughts and feedback. So as you've alluded to, value is in the land and, and the building depreciates over time, but you ultimately need the land and the overall property to be desirable because otherwise what's going to drive growth? So it certainly helps if it's got a proven history of performance that you can look back on and calculate that performance out and you can look back at exactly how it's grown then over the last 20 to 30 years by seeing its sale history as far back as it goes and looking at what it's worth today. And you can then overlay, I like to overlay my trifecta criteria to see if the the suburb, the location and the properties stack up and how does the individual property's performance, looking at its average growth rate compared to the suburb's performance. Ideally, you want it to have outperformed the suburb. And the trouble is you can't go back and do that if you buy a near new property. So you're really taking a bit of a gamble as to how it's going to perform in the future if you don't got no way of knowing how it's performed in the past. So that's why I always prefer established because you're not also paying a premium for the build. You're, you're paying for a higher land component that's going to work harder for you. But yes, you have to make sure that it's desirable because otherwise what's going to you know create the demand that will give the growth. So when you look at subdivision potential, it's a really nice bonus, but don't go trading it off You know any of your trifecta criteria to end up with a less desirable property. So that's only going to mean that you'll struggle to rent it out or sell it when and if you have to, and it won't grow at an above average rate. And I know 2 to 3% extra in growth per year might not sound like much, but over 30 years, it's going to far outweigh when compounding a 10 to 15% development profit that you might make as a one-off. So don't go buying it just because it's subdividable if you're trading off any of those trifecta. This is the short answer. So hopefully that helps and gives you food for thought and gives anyone else some input when they're looking at this type of thing. Finally, I wanted to add on that that higher maintenance is going to be inevitable on an older property. And you just have to reframe how you think about it along the way. And I have to constantly catch myself up on this because all the properties I own are old except for one. And you've just got to, you know, see it as being a cost of this investment and you're paying it for the extra growth. So if you can afford it is the big proviso, then it's worth, you know, what you pay an extra five grand a year to be getting on average an extra over the long term, you end up with 
I don't know, an extra $500 million because it's compounded by an extra 2 to 3% over 30 years could be massive difference just for paying out a little bit extra in maintenance. So next question. Would you guys recommend paying off the mortgage first, then investing in real estate or buying investment properties while having a mortgage still? Good question. I see a lot of people that are just starting out ask this one. I've seen many of them wait too long and then regret that they hadn't started investing in properties sooner. When we consider that a typical loan is for 30 years, let's say you pour all your extra savings into paying it down quicker. How long might that take you? Well, it's going to be specific to your situation, but let's say it takes you 10 years or 15 years or maybe 20 years. Over that time, you could have had two to three other properties working for you and substantially increased your wealth. Plus, if you look at the power of compounding, it's not just what you've potentially lost over that, you know, 10 years that you delayed getting in or 20 years that you delayed getting in. As things compound out, having that larger asset base as early as possible, it really works the magic. The magic really happens when you're getting to 30 plus years. So ideally, you want to get your investments, forget about them for 30 years. And if you've chosen Good properties, they're going to be have doubled three to four times over that time. And the kind of wealth that you're going to create, especially if you've got, you know, two, three, four of these properties is going to be substantial. It'll be so much greater than just holding the property for 10 years. It'll have compounded out astronomically. So once you have this asset base working for you, The rents will also increase sooner, allowing you to pay down your home faster later. And it gives you options. So if you get to that retirement phase, and we did a good episode on transitioning to retirement a few episodes back, worth checking out if you haven't already. If you get to that retirement or income phase and you've still not paid off your home because you've been putting it into your investment properties in the meantime, you've chosen to grow a larger asset base, and do that as a priority. You definitely want your home paid off to enter retirement. So you can look at potentially then selling an investment or two, and you've got the option then of selling those and paying down your home at that point so that you have as little expense as possible going into retirement. So I hope that gives some clarity. It um, really should be a no-brainer to invest first when you understand the power of compounding and what you're missing out on with your opportunity cost of paying down the home loan. So next question and final question for today, I'm looking to purchase an NRAS property in the metro area. I've never invested in this type of property. Could you please tell me what I need to watch out for? Does NRAS property cost more in property management fees or insurance? Any guidance would be much appreciated. So I always hate to pour cold water on someone's plans. But I would personally stay well away from NRAS properties for a number of reasons. It's never made sense for me to invest in an inferior asset just to get an extra tax break, which is exactly what you're doing in pretty much all cases with NRAS. You get an extra tax break from the government to provide these housing to lower socioeconomic people 
and underrent the property to them. I think it's by 20 or 30% per year under market value and they give you a tax break. So you're better off overall when you look at the money you're saving in tax versus the um, concession discount that you're giving the tenants that are low, on lower socioeconomic and qualify for that um, and then res property to be a tenant in. But the trouble is, yes, you're better off when you just consider the extra tax break, but what are you costing yourself in capital growth? And really, capital growth needs to be the main reason that we're initially growing the asset base. That's how we're going to get uh, really wealthy, not through tax breaks. So the types of properties that an in-raise credit is on is on a newer property that's just been built and it's typically in higher density locations or higher density complexes and and it's at the lower end of the market that's unlikely to perform anywhere near as strongly as different other segments. So when you're combining new with high density, with lower end, you're really trading off a lot just to get that tax break. And the other real trouble that there is that you don't work out until you get into this, but ask anyone that's got an NRS property and unless they've jagged and landed a good property manager, there's very few people that manage these types of investment. We don't. It's not worth the the hassle of um, all the extra paperwork and things to manage them for us and they're not releasing any more credits in the future. So it's a fa- getting phased out. Most of the NRAS properties are coming to an end. There's a few credits left around that are getting applied to often substandard stock just so they can try to, you know, get them gone to an investor that is attracted by the shiny credit and the shiny newer property that and the shiny thought of a tax deduction, but they don't realise what it's costing them. And with there being such limited property manager options, if you've got a bad property manager, there's very few options where you can change. And as far as I've seen, uh, the property management fees and insurance are basically the same and as you know, on par with a normal investment. So that's not going to be a deciding factor. Seems to me like you're asking the wrong questions and not understanding the trade-off that you're making for that type of property. Hope that helps and hopefully you haven't bought yet. (laughs) So thanks for tuning in. Jump on over to our Perth Property Investment Facebook group if you're not already a member. Post your questions in there. Get other people's input on things. Help out some others that have got questions. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate you sharing it with your friends and posting us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It just helps to get found by other people. Give us a subscribe if you're on uh, YouTube or Spotify or um, iTunes and you'll get informed of future episodes. If you do have any questions, you can reply to my emails as well if you're not already on our Property Investor Update head on over to investorsedge.com.au slash join. And if you want specific property advice, considering sale or rental or buying, do get in touch because I'm only happy too happy to help and we do service the whole of Perth. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market 
reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Thank you.